Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and today I actually am going to tell you about a woman who I think lost her damn mind. Now that's with all due respect to those of you that will side with her because people always do. But I think that this woman is crazy town. Now, I'm just going to be that tacky girl and go ahead and tell you guys that I got this story from a Netflix documentary called Elise Matsunaga, Once Upon a Crime. It is a super known case. It was super popular Netflix documentary. And I became obsessed with it and just took a real deep dive. So here it goes. Before I get started, I just want to thank you guys so much for tuning into Storytime Podcast. This is something I love to do. It's just a fun hobby I have. I love true crime. I don't really have too many people just to blabber on about it with. So I enjoy telling you guys all my favorite true crime stories. If you can, leave me a five-star review on Apple. I know honesty is always the best policy, but I think five stars is pretty honest. Oh, and don't forget to go to Storytime Slayer on Facebook. Give it a like, give it a share, tell everybody about it. That is where you can also follow up and see some photos, videos, documentations to go along with these episodes. Oh, and then one last thing is I will be doing a giveaway really soon. So go check out Storytime Slayer on Facebook. Let's get started. When I watched this documentary, I did not like how it unfolded. It didn't unfold the story as it happened. It like slowly just regurgitated the story all over the place in a way that made it really hard to follow, especially for a true crime enthusiast. So here goes nothing. I know you're going to be obsessed with this case. It is wild. On May 20th, 2012, Marcos Matsunaga, a Japanese businessman living in Brazil, was closing on the sale of a company that he inherited, one that his grandfather actually founded. So it is a Japanese food line called Yoki, and it was a multi-million dollar company that was being sold for like $2 billion. But he disappeared the night before. He disappeared and did not close this deal. Meanwhile, Elise Matsunaga went to the police and filed a missing persons report on her husband. It is unclear to me exactly what she told the police, but I think just that he was last seen leaving the house and he hadn't been back. I don't think she mentioned how his important business deal was the following day or how big of a business deal it was. And I say that because the businessman gone missing and the missing husband did not correlate to investigators immediately. They did not know that Marcos was the missing businessman for the first week of the investigation. What one hell of a thing not to mention in your husband's missing persons report. It was made apparent that international business reporters were actually following that deal and that it did not go through because Marcos was gone. They actually presumed he was kidnapped for money until no ransom note was ever posted. A week after Marcos's disappearance, though, body parts belonging to a Japanese man were being found in blue trash bags along a roadside in wooded and forested areas like 20 minutes from Sao Paulo. They were, in fact, Marcos' remains, a man whose wife had just reported him missing. And this is also when the investigators linked the missing husband to being the prominent businessman that did not close his multi-billion dollar deal. Investigators needed to find out who Marcos was, who killed him, and who the hell cut him up. 
He was a very wealthy man. Could this have something to do with the closing of his business deal? Or could it be someone close to him? What happened? Don't worry. I am going to tell you. So first, Marcos had been found cut up into seven parts. Head, arms, torso, groin, legs. And left along different parts on the side of the road. It's been heavily debated if the person who did this knew exactly what they were doing because um, this was practically, for one, a bloodless crime. No major organs and arteries had been cut into. Some of the cuts were surgeon-level professional and some were a tad bit less clean, but overall the precision and lack of blood loss was, I guess you could say, impressive. (laughs) When they recovered the head, they could see that he had been shot in the top area of his head from a downward angle. So what killed him? Now, the gunshot wound to the head rendered him unconscious and I think likely brain dead or severely damaged. But he was technically still alive in the physical sense until his throat was cut. Um, He was actually decapitated and, I guess, drowned in his blood from having his throat slashed. And this is what initially killed him. The investigators started with the last place that Marco had been reportedly seen before he disappeared. And that was the condo that he shared with his wife, Eliza Matsunaga. She was the second wife he'd had. He'd been married and divorced once with a little daughter and him and Elisa had a daughter named Helena who was pretty young at the time she was about two years old Elisa was 38 and Marcos was 42 at the time and when they spoke to Elisa she said see she had been suspicious for about a month that Marcos was having an affair He denied this and denied this and denied this and made her feel crazy about her suspicions. So she said, okay, I'm just going to hire a PI and have him followed around. And the PI actually did capture footage of Marcos with an escort just on his first day. Elisa had confronted Marcos about the affair on May 19th, the night before this big business deal. She said he responded by packing a bag of clothes, some cash, only like two to three grand worth in United States currency. I don't know if that's a lot of money there where they were living, but he was a millionaire. So that's really not that much money to be taking for leaving for a long time. Elisa had told Marco's family the same story that he had gotten a bag of clothes and money when she confronted him about his affair. And she actually went a step further and showed them the footage that her PI gave her of Marcos with the escort. Marcos also had his brother received an email from Marcos five days after Marcos's disappearance saying very little. It just said that he was alive and fine. And this kind of gave Elisa's story a little bit of credibility with Marcos's family. So they thought. When investigators viewed the CCTV footage to the elevators of the condo Elisa and Marcos lived at, they actually saw Elisa and Marcos, for one, returning to the condo with Helena and their nanny. And then later on the day of the murder, they see that Marcos leaves to go get pizza. And he looks like really annoyed and stressed out in the elevator. They see him come back with the pizza and they do not, in fact, though, see him exit the condo with a bag or anything to which Elisa described. Later, I think technically the next morning, Elisa leaves the condo though with three suitcases, according to the CCTV. 
So obviously, Elisa Matsunaga was lying about Marcos leaving with a bag of money. Um, now he did leave with several bags, but no money inside of suitcases. So at this point, the investigators know Elisa did this. It's her. They get an eyewitness who says they were driving a motorcycle when they saw Elisa or a description fitting Elisa and her car throwing a blue trash bag on the side of the road. With this information, if I'm not mistaken, they were able to pin her to the area where the bodies were dumped at. She also got pulled over on the day that she was dumping her husband's body parts. So once they gathered all of this information, they could actually place her really close to the area of where the body parts were dumped. And they were able to confront her with their suspicion that she killed her husband and the information they had. And she cracked y'all and their relationship had some serious layers that we are going to unpack so I'm going to start with like who they are how they met the crime according to her what the state thinks the truth is and um, if and what she was sentenced so let's do this okay so Marcos Matsunaga was a Japanese businessman he was international business, I believe, but he lived in Brazil with his wife. There was little I could find out about him in his life growing up other than his grandfather founded the multi-million dollar company in the early 20th century, and he'd been married once before. He had a daughter with his first wife, and I don't know how he like got to Brazil or much else about him, but he was actually married when he met Elisa, and they maintained an affair for like three years before he left his wife and actually married Elisa. Now I will pick that back up once I give you the rundown on her. So Elisa's from Brazil or within the vicinity and she had a really modest low income background. Um, I believe her dad left when she was little or maybe before she was born. I'm not sure. And that she was left with her grandparents when she was about three years old so that her mom could go to the city and get a job and get on her feet. They lived in a really small town outside of the city and like they were really poor. She said they didn't even have Christmas growing up and they said it was because they lived too far away from town. Now Elisa's mom did come back. I didn't get in a specific timeline but I want to say after a couple years and she had a husband but he wasn't really that great of a guy. Um, he was rather abusive physically and sexually from what I could gather. And so he initially was a peeping Tom. And one time he actually tried to overpower and rape her when she was like in her early mid-teens. And she was able to run away from him. And she got out of the house wrapped in a towel. And she actually ended up spending the night outside eventually made it to her godmother's house where her godmother gave her $50 so that she could run away and she just ran away on foot. CPS eventually did catch up with her, but she just refused to speak to them. She didn't tell them anything about her home life, her name, nothing. She wouldn't give them any information. They did finally place her after 45 days. They located who she was and who her family was. But she actually ended up living with her aunt, and she has a really close relationship with her aunt still. So, Aliza wanted to go to college, and um, she basically knew she needed to go to school. 
And so she decided she's going to go to nursing school, but she didn't have any money and her family didn't have any money. So she decided she was going to become an escort. And fun fact that she threw in in her interview is that she would have sometimes up to 10 clients a day. Wow. Okay, so she worked for an escort service that used a website called M-Class. So M-Class was her service. And this is actually how she met Marcus Matsunaga. Wow. Real pretty woman situation there. Prostitute to wife of millionaire. So for one, Marcos was actually married. And he stayed married and stayed seeing escorts until him and Elisa agreed that they were going to be exclusive. And so he would get a divorce and she would quit escorting and he wouldn't call any other escort services anymore. And that's exactly what they did, except for they just didn't live happily ever after. At first, they had an extremely good and healthy relationship. So they traveled worldwide. They went to museums, shows, became wine connoisseurs, avid hunters, and did that all over the world, along with many other outdoor travel activities. They were happy and they got married. But after years of trying to conceive and fertility treatments, it put a dark cloud over their marriage. In 2010, she found out Marcos was having an affair. His lover was calling him on Skype while he was in the shower, and that is how Eliza found out. She wanted to divorce him until she found out that she was finally pregnant after years of trying. Why does shit like that happen? Like, why did she get pregnant after he cheated on her? I hate that. So I don't even know how to fit this in, but sometime after nursing school, because remember, that's why she was an escort, but herself through nursing school, Eliza decided to go to law school. So she'd had her daughter Helena either right before or right after her law school graduation, and she was very proud. This is actually, <laughs> this is where she met her legal defense team later. Wow, tell me this woman ain't been planning to kill a rich man her whole life. So like first nursing school, escort service, and then law school. All training completed. So six months after their daughter was born, Marcos became super distant. They were just not vibing anymore. They argued all the time. She constantly thought he was cheating. She'd accuse him of cheating. He'd deny it, call her crazy. Y'all know that merry-go-round, right? Well, it was driving her crazy to be called crazy when she just knew she was right. She wanted a divorce, but he wouldn't comply. So she said his treatment of her totally flipped. He denied having an affair. And it's like he didn't want her to leave, she said. Like he would threaten to keep her daughter from her and would say who would leave her with a whore. And just things of that nature. Uh, he threatened to have her committed to a mental hospital and he was so rich and shit and convincing that she like was really afraid of it. She said he would degrade her, say she was trash, he just cleaned up, yada, yada, yada. So she decided that she is getting proof of this damn affair because she's tired of him saying she's crazy. She hired a PI and the day one, the PI spotted the prostitute on a date with him. It was one from the same escort service that she met Marcos through. And then on day two, the PI called and said that they were at a restaurant. And I don't know what restaurant this was, but it was a very sentimental to Elise 
and she could not believe he would dare take this prostitute with him there. I mean, she was stewing. She was stewing. She said once she called him knowing that he was in a hotel with a prostitute and he told her with no qualms that he is celebrating the closing with a buyer. And she knew damn well he was sitting next to a prostitute. So all of this is what provoked Elisa. Her and Marcos were at home, according to her. They were sitting at the kitchen table having the pizza he'd gone to pick up on the 19th. And they began to argue. She brings up the affair. He's denying it. He's being verbally abusive. And she flat out tells him that she has proof. The news on the PI infuriates him. Okay, and he slaps her across the face and she got really upset and afraid. So she went to grab a gun. Side note here. Apparently they are like gun enthusiasts and they had weapons all over their home to access in case they were ever robbed. So she grabs one and immediately was going to put it back. But she heard him approaching so quickly that I guess it like, I don't know, she just heard him coming. And so she turned the gun on him instead of putting it back. Interesting idea. So they're arguing face to face and she's pointing a gun at him and he's approaching her slowly. And while he's approaching her, fearing for his life, she's going to shoot him. She says that he threatens to take custody of their daughter yet again. That is so crazy to me. I just can't imagine somebody holding a gun at me and me saying some fucking provoking shit to them. But okay. Whatever, Eliza. Okay. And so she shoots him. According to her, they were like six feet apart. Now she said that she immediately panicked, drug him about 50 feet across the home into their room and just left him there a while, not wanting anyone to find him. And she really needed to figure out a way to get him out of that condo. Okay. So in the middle of the night, she finally decides, you know what? I'm going to have to cut him up. Remember, he was physically alive when she began dismembering him. He was likely brain dead, and he was, in fact, unconscious, but he was alive. She dismembered him, starting first with his head, because the slice to his throat is what ultimately killed him physically. Now, she was capable of dismembering him because, for one, they were avid hunters, and she knew how to render an animal carcass, and for two, she had training as a nurse. After she cut him up, she placed him in blue trash bags and she fit them into about three, not into about, she fit him into three suitcases and loaded him up in her car and she was headed to her family's house at first. And she was actually afraid to go to her family because she knew that she would tell someone something. She was afraid she'd crack and so she like couldn't face her family. So she turned around and shortly after is when she got pulled over for an expired tag. Oh my gosh. Yeah, her man was cut up in the car in suitcases and she got pulled over for an expired tag. So after getting pulled over, she continued with her plan and she started dumping his body parts off of side roads like 20 miles from Sao Paulo. After a few days, um, she went to police and reported him missing and she told his family that he'd taken off because of the um, situation with getting caught cheating and then emailed Marcus's brother from his email address trying to fool everybody. To investigators, there was something wrong with Elisa's story because the forensics did not align. 
According to her, they were six feet apart face to face, but Marcos had a gun burn that could not have occurred further than 20 inches away. He'd also been shot from a downward projection, and Eliza was only like five foot, and her husband was close to 5'9", 5'10"-ish, and she wouldn't be face to face and pointing down at his head with the story she gave. They actually think it was premeditated and that she was a gold digger, manipulator, and murderer. It looked like Marcos was stressed on the CCTV when he went to get the pizza, and they think that they were already had argued before Marcos left for the pizza, and that when he came back, Elisa was angry in the hallway when he walked in, and she had a gun pointed at him, and he instinctively crouched at the sight of it, which is very common reflex according to the prosecution in the documentary, and that she shot him, making this a premeditated murder. Eliza's defense said, and her trial was only seven days long, that this was a crime of passion. Marcos was emotionally and physically abusive, a mean womanizer, and that she acted out of emotion in the heat of a moment because her husband's cruel, threatening words. The jury ultimately found her guilty, but of lesser charges, like the defense intended. But the judge actually decided to still choose the maximum sentence, which is not what the jury or the defense hoped for. And she was still given 19 years, 11 months, and one day. I think this lady's so guilty. Like, I think she exaggerated and was just a scorned woman, um, if she shot him in the head in self-defense, then she would have called 911 instead of cutting him up into seven pieces. This is like Betty Broderick on steroids. So just to clarify, Elisa did not maintain her story of Marcos disappearing with a bag and some money almost immediately after she was confronted by police with the evidence they had against her. She cracked relatively quickly. What surprises me is that she didn't just try to do some type of plea bargain with as quickly as she copped to the crime. I think that um, her self-defense story and lack of premeditation was out the door the minute she cut that man up so precisely. It was also obvious to me, or I think anyway, that she did this because she felt personally insecure about the fact that she met Marcos when he was already married and he had a young child. And now here she is married to him with a young child, his ex-mistress. Remember, because she was his mistress when she was an escort. And now he's got another escort mistress, probably younger, I believe much younger than her. And he could be replacing her. So I think anger, insecurity, um, lack of loyalty, all those played into this. But I very much so think that she is guilty. I'm so curious to see if you guys think she's guilty. Please go to Storytime Slayer on Facebook and let me know what you guys think about this case and if she did it or didn't do it. Watch the documentary if you want to. Um, it's very drawn out. Um, I will say that. But it's still such an interesting case and web of shit. Just It's just a whole thing. So anyway, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. And I will talk to y'all later. Bye. And don't forget, there's going to be a giveaway on Storytime Slayer. Go check it out.